This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, January 6th, 2022. This week's Intego Mac Podcast starts with a look at some of the new vulnerabilities and proof-of-concept exploits that are making the news at the start of this new year. And you've probably run into Apple's two-factor authentication. Do you know someone who hasn't turned it on? We'll tell you why it's used, why users should understand why it's used, and why users should use it. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. Happy New Year. This is the first time we've met since the old year, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. Happy New Year. Am I right that there was some sort of Y2K problem this year? Well, not on Max, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Okay, but, good. But it is true, though, that uh, in certain cases, you may have been affected by a Y2K22 issue. If, if you were using certain Microsoft Exchange servers, they didn't really handle the rollover from one year to the next very well. Like, really? We have another Y2K issue? Yeah, but it's only Microsoft Exchange, which I understand many businesses use Microsoft yeah. Exchange, but still, apparently it's just like some sort of a typo in the code, something dumb. Yeah, well, good job, Microsoft. At least they did release a patch uh, after the fact. So if you were affected by this, well, first of all, not very many of our listeners are running an Exchange server themselves, but maybe their companies are. And so, right. yeah, if there was an issue, then by now your uh, email administrators would have fixed this. Okay. We've got a couple of interesting, they're not malware, they're vulnerabilities that are really curious. And the first one is a no reboot attack. Threat actors can simulate iPhone reboots and keep iOS malware on a device. And we've often talked about malware on iOS devices. When you restart, it'll generally get deleted just because of the way it's installed. It's not installed permanently. But these cyber criminals have come up with a clever thing that they basically make your phone look like it's restarting, you know, the black screen, the Apple logo, et cetera, whereas it's not. Yeah, this is kind of a, a clever idea. A lot of people may know, very security conscious people, I should say, may know that if you ever get an infection on your iOS device, most often, if you reboot your iOS device, that clears out whatever infection might be on your device. And the reason for that is it's very difficult to gain what's called persistence, or in other words, being able to come back after a reboot on iOS. And because the platform is very well locked down in a lot of ways. And so even if you can exploit a vulnerability to infect an iOS device, it's very, very hard to for that device to remain infected once it reboots. So there's this new technique and there's some proof of concept code that has been published and there's a way to simulate the iOS restart process and that's essentially what they're doing here is they're they're making it look like your phone is rebooting but it's actually not fully rebooting and so it's not clearing out whatever malware might have been there. Okay, clever. We like things that are clever like this. It's not that big a threat, but if someone is attacking very specific people with the Pegasus malware, this could be something that makes these people a little bit more vulnerable. 
Right. In fact, another little bit of, of proof of concept code that was released along with this disables certain features, including the camera LED indicator. So normally you get a little uh, indication that uh, your camera is in use or, or that your microphone is in use. And there are actually ways to turn that off as well that are included with this proof of concept code. So it, it gives somebody who wants to attack you even more ways to do that um, by hiding the fact that they're watching you or listening to you. So it's a little scary, probably not something that people need to be extremely concerned about at this point. We, we don't know of this being actively used in the wild. And again, if you're not really being targeted by somebody uh, with Pegasus or something like that, you probably don't need to worry about this too much. And presumably this is something that Apple is going to try to, you know, find ways to improve iOS further to avoid these fake reboots, um, you know, uh, it, to make it harder for the bad guys to to do this. Okay. Another one we found is called door lock. So it's got a fancy name and it's got a little logo of a padlock. We spent a lot of time before the show talking about this, trying to figure out, is this serious? Could this be a problem? Essentially, Josh is going to explain a little bit more, but if, you're, if you've got a HomeKit device that's got a name that's too long, your iOS device can be blocked. Now, this is a denial of service attack, and it doesn't sound too serious, but imagine the following scenario. Act two of Mission Impossible 12. Tom Cruise is in the shower. The evil maid comes in and changes the name of his, I don't know, his HomePod, his HomePod mini that he has. And when he comes back and opens up his iPhone, it freezes his iPhone and he can't call MI6. He can't call to get a pizza delivered. He can't call to get an Uber. Yeah, well, especially the pizza delivery scenario. I mean, that's pretty bad if you can't get a pizza. Um, This really could potentially be a, a, a problem, but there's very limited circumstances where somebody could use this against you. So this is a de- denial of service attack. And essentially what happens is somebody comes along, they rename a HomeKit device that your phone is managing. And now your phone can't handle the new name because the, the name is just ridiculously long. In the example, they used 500,000 characters for the, the re- when they renamed this HomeKit device. And because your device isn't capable of properly handling a device with that many characters in its name, it just crashes and, and permanently crashes. So even if you force restart it, as soon as it restarts, you're still not going to be able to log into that device. So that's a pretty big problem. But, you know, what are the scenarios under which somebody is actually going to be able to use this against you? Well, the reason this happens is that there is a home icon in Control Center. And I'm assuming that every time an iOS device boots up, it checks to find all the HomeKit devices that it can control. And in my evil-made scenario, Tom Cruise was in a hotel. But since HomeKit devices can be triggered remotely, this could have been something at Tom Cruise's house that someone changed the name of. And it would still affect his device because HomeKit is going up to iCloud and back. Now, maybe it can't get through iCloud. We don't know. Maybe if the name's too long, it it breaks someplace along the way. And again, the odds of this happening are very slim, but I can see this as act two of a Mission Impossible movie. 
Yeah, that's something that's not really clear from uh, the information that's that's on the vulnerability website. And of course, you know, every vulnerability has to have its own logo and website and everything else now. So DoorLock, of course, has its own website. And there's it's not really clear from the information available on the website whether this is something that can be done to attack somebody in a remote location. But we're, we're assuming that it does just because of how HomeKit works. And the fact that you can't can manage HomeKit devices from anywhere. You don't have to be on the same Wi-Fi network. Kind of implies that, uh, as, you know, even if you are at a hotel and somebody goes into your home and renames your HomeKit device, or maybe they access your Wi-Fi from outside of your home and, and rename your HomeKit device, that could be a problem, even if you're in a remote location potentially. So this is a vulnerability that's known to exist in iOS 15.2, which is currently the latest version on iOS. And it does go back uh, multiple versions. Um, it, it presumably, according to the person who found this vulnerability, seems to affect a lot of iOS versions going pretty far back, potentially. They say that Apple has done some things to kind of sort of mitigate this because in iOS 15.1, and they say maybe 15.0, they introduced a new limit on the length that you can rename a HomeKit device. But the problem is that if somebody just has an iOS 14 device and they come along and rename your HomeKit device, then now they can potentially use this denial of service attack against you. So there's still a problem that still needs to be resolved somehow. Okay, so we've got an interesting story about QR codes in the city of Austin, Texas. Apparently, a bunch of people put fraudulent QR code stickers on parking meters, and I'm guessing you pay for parking in Austin, Texas with a QR code, and they were directed to a fraudulent website where they were making payments, which obviously didn't cover their parking. Maybe they got parking tickets. That's probably the the worst thing. And we spent a bunch of time looking into this, and it's really interesting the way iOS devices handle QR codes. If you open the camera app and point your phone at a QR code, if the QR code is readable, you'll see a tiny little yellow thing showing the name of a domain and you tap that to open it in your browser. Now, this is tiny, it's like six point font and it took me a while to come up with this. Lookalike letters lead users to lose moolah. I just love things like that where you can come up with something with all that alliteration. But the point is, it's a kind of phishing, but it's different because of the way QR codes are handled. But we found something even more interesting, didn't we, Josh? That's right. What we found is that if you have a different browser set as your default, you don't get the usual something dot something domain preview. So normally if Safari is your default browser and you open the camera app, you point your phone at a QR code, It'll give you the something dot something domain preview, and it'll imply that as soon as you tap on that spot or in, in the camera app, it's going to open up your browser to that domain. It doesn't give you the full address, but at least it tells you what domain it's going to take you to. So for example, intego.com, if you had a QR code that goes to intego.com. However, if you have a, any other browser set as your default on iOS, we tested this with Brave, with Chrome, with Edge. If you have any other browser set as your default, then it just says open in and the name of that browser. So open in Brave, for example. That's kind of weird because now you, you don't get any sort of indication of 
where that QR code is going to take you once you get into that browser. Um, so it, instead of doing what Apple should have done and said, open, you know, this domain in, in Brave this or browser. Yeah. Yeah. In this browser, they just completely eliminate the preview. And so they make it less um, secure because you now you have no idea where that QR code is going to take you. And something else I noticed, I searched for QR code on Google and I went to Google Images and I pointed my camera at a whole bunch of QR codes. And a couple of them just said Dropbox. And that makes me think that if you have an app installed, instead of going to a website, it'll show the name of the app and open in the app. Now, the only thing I found on these samples I was looking at was Dropbox. This might work with other apps. We're going to do some research into this, and we'll have some more information and a, an in-depth article on the Indigo Security blog soon, because it's clear that QR codes have become a lot more common and that there are an awful lot of ways that they can trick people. Right. Yeah. And I suspect now that you mentioned that about Dropbox, I think probably what's going on here is that if you change your default browser on iOS, now they're just handling anything that is an HTTP or HTTPS URL that doesn't have a custom app like, you know, a, a dropbox.com domain opens in the Dropbox app. All else, you know, now the catch all for HTTP or HTTPS URLs besides those is going to go to your default browser. But it is still pretty weird, though. I mean, you could certainly still have it so that, um, for example, even in the Dropbox scenario that you gave, it could say open and then give the, the domain preview in Dropbox. It would make a lot of sense for Apple to do that. It would be a lot longer and there's not, they would have to make two lines in the preview, but I think in terms of security, they probably should. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about using two-factor authentication for your Apple ID and your iCloud account. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. Indigo's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Indigo Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intigo.com. That's podcast.intigo.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intigo Mac Podcast listeners. Intigo, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Okay, we want to talk about Apple's two-factor authentication. And we talk about two-factor authentication probably every episode or every other episode. And every company does it a little bit differently. Some of them use SMS, which, yes, it's not secure. And some of them use other systems. And Apple's is really specific that each Apple device you have in what I call Apple's chain of trust can give you codes for other devices. A lot of people are discovering two-factor authentication, people who had never thought of putting this on because there are 
number of Apple devices you can't use without having two-factor authentication, including the HomePod Mini and AirTags. And in my research for this article, I found a whole bunch of people commenting in forums and on Reddit and on Facebook saying, well, I got these AirTags for Christmas, but I can't use them because I don't want to turn on two-factor authentication. And you see, we're going to tell you turn it on. It's you got to turn it on. It's the only way you got to turn it on because just a quick overview, two-factor authentication combines something you know with something you have. The something you know is your username and password. In this case, your Apple ID and that very secure password for your Apple ID, your iCloud account. And the something you have is a code that's generated on one of your devices. In parentheses, if you only have one device, you can get it by SMS. You can get the code by SMS. But what's important here is that if anyone can get into any of your devices, they can get to your email, they can change your Apple ID password and get more than just what's in your iCloud account. A friend of mine emailed me and he said he got a HomePod mini and he didn't want to turn two-factor authentication on. He said to me something like, what's someone going to do? Listen to my Apple Music or look at my photos? And But it's like they can use your email address to change your passwords on any service. So it's really important. The thing about Apple's two-factor authentication, though, is you have to understand several things. You have trusted devices, you have trusted phone numbers, you get codes on different devices. Sometimes you get a code on the same device where you're signing into a web browser, and that throws people a lot. That is an interesting point. And a lot of times this stuff is not actually called two-factor authentication anymore, uh, just because often you're using the same device that you know, you're know you using to sign in with a passcode to also get the verification code, which means there's really only something that you have if you have, say, your password saved. It's not necessarily something that you know. It could be something that you have and something that you have. So <laughs> it's not it's not a perfect scenario. But this is only the case when you're signing into an Apple website. That's the only time you'll get the code on the same device. If you're setting up a new device, for example, you get a new Mac and you get the code on your iPhone to sign into your iCloud account. That's the basic situation. The web browser thing is a little tricky because if you ever sign out of iCloud or the Apple Store or your developer account or whatever, you will have to go through the two-factor thing each time, even though you've trusted the browser. And that makes it a little bit more confusing. Right. And and by the way, um, just to clarify that, we're talking about in the context, this is all really in the context of Apple ID and iCloud uh, that we're talking about two-factor authentication here. Um, It is also true that very often you may have a password saved on your device with some other service, and they might send you an SMS code, uh, a text message, in other words, um, which again, it's, it's less secure, but we do recommend that if that's the only option, it's still better than not having two-factor set up. Um, It's just not technically two factor because um you know it's it's really using this the same thing that you have but that's okay additional security reinforced security how about that right reinforced this is why it's very often called two-step verification because there isn't an extra step involved well that's what apple used to call it years ago and then they Mm -hmm. changed it to two-factor authentication the the older two-step was very different one of the things about the older two-step is you may remember you had to answer some security questions there was like a recovery code and that doesn't exist anymore with the two-factor. So there are people now who who are still using two-step and who are switching to two-factor and find it a little bit confusing. Right. 
One other thing that's confusing, I'm going to link to my article on the Intego Max security blog in the show notes, and I went to sign in to something on a new device. Well, it says it's on a new device. And I got a dialogue that says, your Apple ID is being used to sign in on the web near Londonderry, Northern Ireland. Well, Northern Ireland is part of Great Britain and the United Kingdom, but it's a couple hundred miles from me. I'm in the West Midlands, and I've seen this very often. Sometimes it'll show me signing in in Leicester, which is about 60 miles, or in London, which is 100-some-odd miles away. And it, it's very tricky because you see this, you think, oh, my God, someone's trying to get into my device. But all this is is your internet service provider may have their main router, their main distribution center at some point, which is nowhere near where you are. Here it looks like it's in a different country. I mean, it's across the Irish Sea over there. Right. And this is uh, compounded even more because um, there's a number of different ways. I'm not exactly sure the specific way that Apple is determining that location, um, but it does seem to be usually based on your IP address in some way or other. And so there are databases that's, that try to keep track of um, you know, where a particular IP address is geographically. Um, but they're not very precise, as you found out. And and it's, it gets even more complicated if you happen to be using Apple's new iCloud private relay, which hides your exact location, and it may also show that you're in some other place. Uh, same thing if you're using a VPN as well. Wherever your VPN server is located or or seems to be located, that's going to potentially show up as your location on this as well. So um, you kind of just have to be aware that it's not necessarily going to be precise. Um, but if you just if you just tried to sign in and you know it was you, um, then that's a pretty good indicator that it probably is you <laughs> that triggered this alert. Okay, one thing that's important with two-factor authentication is to set up what Apple calls trusted phone numbers. A trusted phone number is someone who can get a code for you. My ideal example is you're on a business trip or on vacation, you've lost your iPhone. You go buy a new iPhone, you have to get a new SIM card, and you go to sign into your iCloud account. Well, you can't get a code because it's not a trusted device. What you can do is you can add your friends, your family as a trusted phone number, and you can call them and say, okay, I've just got this new phone. I need to sign in. You're going to get a six-digit code by SMS. And so the person will get a six-digit code. Interestingly, Apple's support document says that in some cases, if you're setting up a new phone, you may not get a request for a code. And I think it's because if you're using the same SIM card, it's recognized as the same phone number. So it's a good idea to add your own phone number as a trusted phone number in case you've got a SIM card and you're replacing, say, a broken iPhone. Hmm. That's kind of interesting. Although, again, like there are potential scenarios where that could be a bad thing. Again, if this is like if somebody's really targeting you and, uh, you know, if, if you have your own phone number in there, that means that in some scenarios, people could be getting an SMS code and they could SIM jack you and that could be a problem. Um, so uh, for convenience sake, yeah, definitely. Uh, it makes sense to add your own phone number. If you're really paranoid, maybe don't add your own phone number. 
So one more interesting thing to know, if you go into on an iPhone or an iPad, uh, tap your name, which is the Apple ID, and then go to password and security. If you scroll all the way down, you'll see something that says get verification code. You can do this in system preferences, Apple ID, password and security on the Mac. If for any reason you're not getting a code on another device, you can generate a code from one device that you can then put into another device. Uh, this kind of works if you may have a dongle to use for a bank account. For instance, my bank accounts all use dongles where I put in a username, password, then generate a code. So this works the same way. You can create your own code for your account that will work for any of your devices. And this might be a little bit easier sometimes when you need a code if for some reason you're just not getting them automatically. That's interesting. I actually didn't know about that. Um, there's a few other things that you can find here, too. Um, so if if you've never checked this out before, um, you can find this by going into the settings app. This uh, For an iOS device, you go into settings, um, you tap on your Apple ID iCloud area up at the top that's got your, your, uh, your image and your name. And then you tap on password and security. And uh, if you scroll down, you may need to scroll down to see uh, the get verification code uh, button or link down at the very bottom there. And there's a couple of other things that are kind of interesting in here. Legacy contacts we talked about recently. That's another thing that you can set up from the screen. And account recovery as well. We've talked about both of these in last week's episode. I'll put a link in the show notes to articles about the trusted phone numbers, account recovery and legacy contact, and to two-factor authentication. And this is also where you can find the trusted phone number that we were just talking about, too. So if you want to add a trusted phone number or remove your phone number, if you're really paranoid, you can also find that here as well. And you can set all this up on the web at appleid.apple.com. You have all these options. And here's a good... Apple URL, which I've always liked that they have this URL. If you ever forget your Apple ID and password, you go to iforgot.apple.com. Yep. <laughs> That's pretty clever. Okay. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.